Good. Well, shall we get started? Does that seem like a, a reasonable thing to do? I must make sure I don't step too forward, too much forward. Um, I'm Graham Dixon. I've head of radio at the European Broadcasting Union. We're um, an organisation where we have um, 73 members in 56 countries, and um, so great to be here. I spend a lot of time on the road, but actually this is incredibly exciting, and I've been amazed and moved by so much that I've heard, particularly, as I said just then, that sense of really serving communities, being close to community. So you don't need me, I don't think, to tell or try and explain to you what we're actually here in radio for, because I strongly think that is about creating communities, reaching out to people, bringing people together. I'll say a little bit more about that um, later. But um, what I wanted to talk about is two things, stability and innovation, because one of the great things about radio is it's completely reliable. When you switch it on, it's there. And actually, if you switched on and didn't find it there, you might have imagined that the end of the world will come or would have come or something dreadful was happening. Um, that sense of stability of radio is incredibly important, that reliability. But I think that what's really been shown over the last, well, 20 years probably with new media is that radio can also be an incredibly flexible medium and that's also what I would like to mention to this evening, so, uh, this, uh, this morning. You've got two, anyone would think I was jet lagged, um, yeah, I'm not. Um, you've got these two things, you've got the stability and you've also got um, within that the capacity for innovation. So a colleague walked into my office sometime in March, it was his first day in the office, and he just came in and he said, hello, I'm new here and I hear you're the head of radio, what is radio? And I must say, I did have one of those hesitation moments in trying to answer what is radio. Um, I've forgiven him for asking the question now because it just has made me reflect as actually what is radio because in the past we might have had that one device that looks a bit like a radio there but of course now and again you don't need me to tell you this um, radio is found in so many different shapes and forms and a new one that I'll show you now which many of you probably haven't seen because it hasn't been launched here um, yet. But the question of what is radio really started to preoccupy me. You know, what are we actually doing in radio? And thinking about it over the course of a few weeks, I came up with a thought. I came up with one thought of what radio wasn't and I sort of knew instinctively it wasn't the streaming services, it wasn't just the reading of books on Audible, it wasn't sending um, voice messages to each other for a very micro audience in a sort of Facebook way. Um, I think that's what radio wasn't. But then, what was radio? And I thought there were two things. One, I chose a random community radio station from South Africa because actually I've just, in trying to study before coming here what the radio situation is, I've been so impressed by what happens in the community radio area here. So I, I felt that connecting communities was something that radio does and responding to human curiosity because what you're doing the whole time by having a sense of place and also by having a sense of time, by being present, is actually you're creating community, you're at the heart of community, you're sharing ideas, you're bringing people together, 
And also, I think you're responding to human curiosity because in other media forms, particularly on the internet, you're saying, I'd like to find out about this, I will Google that, I will look at that on Wikipedia, whereas I think it's our job as radio people to surprise people, to move people on, and actually, as Valerie has just been saying, you know, that unexpected joy, that sense of something you really weren't expecting suddenly being delivered. So I think responding to curiosity is really important because we're all curious and it might be curiosity about news, yes, but it could also be curiosity about um, different types of music and therefore in introducing an audience to um, types of music, musical genres, performers, songs they haven't heard before, I think is absolutely what makes radio more than just a streaming service. But I think there's one other really important thing. I took some nice pictures of one of our members in the Czech Republic has just launched um, a new youth station, and these are some of the pictures, because for me, this emphasized the one thing that is again really important, apart from community and curiosity, it's about liveness. Because I think that even if we listen on demand, even if we can um, so easily download a podcast, all these things, at the heart of it, I think radio has to have a live experience in a particular time, in a particular place, to be what it is. And I think it's up to all of us as radio people to communicate that sense of place, that sense of time. We are here, it's now, the things are happening, and we are a community. Social capital. Without getting too technical, this is what I think radio is probably all about. It's probably why we won the bid against two really ferocious American commercial companies to launch Dot .radio as a... Um, as a domain name, as a community domain name and not a commercial one. Because what we argued was that radio was more than simply a way of making money. It was a way actually of bringing people together and that if commercial interests were part of Dot Radio, then actually um, it didn't really reflect the way that radio is. And of course, across the South African landscape, I can really see that with a strong emphasis on um, on community radio as well, which you have, and being close to communities. But the idea of radio creating these networks with shared norms, values, talking about the norms and values that we share as communities, and therefore bringing people together, that seems to me absolutely essential in the radio area. And I think that you exemplify it so well. I would l have loved many European colleagues to hear some of the presentations that I've heard in the last couple of days and we'll talk with Franz about ways in which maybe we can make that possible and more interaction between the European industry and uh, what you're doing here because I think there are some fantastic messages to be learned and to be shared. Um, we were in France the other weekend, France is only two kilometers away from us, um, and uh, we were taken round a village by the village historian who said, well, this is the lavoir, and the lavoir is the washing place, it's where people have come to wash their clothes, it was the source of running water in this French village. And as this historian was describing the social role of this particular place in the village, 
I really felt that it had a lot to say for radio. It was bringing people together. It was people hearing about the um, troubles and pains of other people. It was people beginning to feel mutually supportive of each other. It was actually a sort of meeting place which created a community. And it was so funny, as the historian was talking, I was thinking, yes, actually, what this person is describing is radio, and it was very easy to see because it's a physical space, no longer used, but one day, you know, a hundred years ago, that would have been really buzzing with people coming together on a daily basis, exchanging that news, and radio, I think, does that vital role for what can be, in these days, in many communities, our more separate lives. I've been really impressed. When I started to do my research, this is your radio research, and I think that it's something you can be really, really proud of here in South Africa. I was amazed by the reach, which is 93% um, per week of the population listening to radio, slightly higher than Europe, where we get about 90. So this is an incredible level of engagement. What's also interesting about your industry here is the very, very long listening times, four hours. In Europe, the equivalent's about two and a half hours. So actually, radio here, there is surely a lot that we can actually learn from knowing you all better, which is one of the reasons I'm really thrilled to be here and intend to keep in touch. And also age. It's fantastic to see the demographic that, um, particularly for music and also for news, both of which are really important in their different ways, um, we can see that younger people are absolutely engaging with the radio. In Europe, there is um, a slight drop-off in, ter in terms of listening hours for younger people, but not for reach. A lot of the, um, the reach is really holding up well with younger demographics, but they are listening for less time. But it's fantastic to see that here. So I thought I'd put that up because I think you should all feel people involved in the South African um, radio industry incredibly proud at what you actually achieve um, day by day, hour by hour. 85% of European citizens listen to the radio every week. As I said, our um, statistics are not quite yours, but it's, um, as I say, something to learn. What we emphasize a lot is the trust in media, because in the world of fake news, Trump on Twitter, post-truth, all of those phenomena, you know, who do we actually trust in a world where most people are, at least most, many people are on Facebook, people are getting Facebook as a news source, where does all of that news come from? There's a village in the Balkans, in the former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia, where they're making lots of money by making ridiculous news stories, and actually on the basis of that, selling advertising. And the stories are simply not true. And it's become a sort of village industry um, started by one school kid there. And I think we just really, the sense of needing to know where we are in the world is very important. And I'm really pleased that looking across Europe, we can see radio in many countries as the most trusted medium. And um, if you see there, radio again scoring, tending to trust 59. Um, I'm a little bit pleased to see the trust in social networks is only 21, um, because that actually means people are intelligent enough to actually look at social networks and think, hmm, do I really trust this? Is this something that I ought to be believing? So I think that's good testimony to people's intelligence. Um, 
And here again, we see the same thing. Tend to trust, tend not to trust. There's a very high trust in radio. But I think that because of this trust in radio, which I'm sure must be mirrored here, if we look at it as a news source, as a source of music, as a source of, um, of other areas of broadcasting, if we look at that, that actually increases, I think, the level of responsibility which we need to have as broadcasters in terms of checking our sources and being really um, serious and dedicated to actually seeking out what is truth. Some of the themes about investigative journalism that we heard yesterday come back to my mind there. And there we have country by country, um, the um, list, the um, trust in radio which um, is quite an interesting analysis. But I just put it there to say that even within Europe, there is actually quite a lot of variance, and it's quite a challenge to get right at that high end. Radio, radio a unique role. I talked about it being stable, and if we switched on the radio in the morning and uh, found there wasn't actually anything there, you'd probably think that the world had ended. Um, we talk about the unique role of radio and actually the unique role of broadcast as opposed to internet distribution as actually securing that total stability which radio needs. And we think there are really three important reasons for doing that. One is it's direct to audience. I put the very dramatic pictures there because hopefully it gets everyone's um, attention. It got my attention when I was doing this PowerPoint and trying to think how to illustrate this. The picture of the naked girl in Vietnam running away from bombing is an absolutely iconic picture, but it was censored um, in a news story by Facebook as pornography. And that seems to me to be a very interesting world where we are rewriting our history on very arbitrary and automatic um, censorship lines. And who is actually making up those rules, that that is not a picture of a tragic scene, um, but rather pornography. Very interesting. And that's why this sense of radio being direct to audiences and touching audiences where they are is really important. We also strongly believe in broadcast because it's totally secure. Terrible things, as you probably, well, as you will know, are happening in Europe in terms of terrorism recently and attacks. And... Um, that's the Brussels airport after the attack. The internet went down. And therefore, how do you get the information to make your next step at that point? Sometimes the government will take it out. Sometimes, actually, it simply is overloaded. And that's why we're very committed at the European Broadcasting Union towards having secure um, broadcast technology, not just internet. And also universal. That is a, um, a very... Um, poor, deprived area in the north of England where people are concerned about how they're going to spend their money. And the great thing about radio is it doesn't actually involve a subscription, a subscription to an internet company. You simply can buy a set very reasonably and it will probably work for 10 years. And that sense that it's not a daily expense but something that you can buy one of these things and it will work for more or less ever um, is incredibly important to us. So I've talked a lot about stability of radio, trust, strong, um, a strong and robust um, transmission method, and the way of reaching the audience directly. But I think radio is amazingly adapting, adapt, um, adaptable. 
Um, people have talked about the death of radio ever since television was launched. It hasn't happened, and I think radio, because it's cheap, it's effective, it's actually very adaptable to different technologies, the internet, to clips, to social media. I think that it's proved more resilient and stronger than anyone would ever have believed. And um, here we are, and probably I'll do my little demo at this point, because one of the things, the challenges that we are facing is um, what we do, or maybe one of the opportunities we have, is the launch of voice-controlled um, devices. Um, and I brought, and if it works, I brought my Amazon Echo with me. So um, I don't think these have been launched here yet, have they? Um, so just forgive me if I play a little bit, which is, um, Alexa, what's the... Uh, I have to go to a microphone, I guess. Oh, here. Um, Alexa, what's the, ca what's the capital of... I think I'm trying to talk about kittens. Alexa, what's the capital of South Africa? South Africa has three capital cities. Cape Town, as the seat of parliament, is the legislative capital. Pretoria as the seat of the president and Canada. Alexa stop and she'll carry on I mean she I must say I wish I'd had one of these when I was at school because listen to this Alexa what's 17,224 divided by 4,328 17,224 divided by 4,328 is 3.98 we hope that's right. Anyone checked it? <laughs> Alexa, what's the, Alexa, what's the weather in Johannesburg? In Johannesburg, South Africa, it's 12 degrees with partly sunny skies. Today's forecast is more of the same, with a high of 17 degrees and a low of 6 degrees. But, of course, in, I mean, you can play all sorts of games. Alexa, tell me a joke. These are really bad ones. What did one eye say to the other eye? Between you and me, something smells. <laughs> Those are completely random. Um, and, and I suppose also fun is, um, and she, she of course is family friendly, so you don't have to worry too much. Alexa, tell me a limerick. There once was a man who loved kilts, who went around town atop stilts. When a gust of chilled air made it too cold to bear, he traded his garb for a quilt. So, there you are, a limerick. Um, look, you can play all sorts of games, but as a media device, this is um, also interesting. Um, and we often use it like that, as opposed to just saying to it things like, Alexa, add cheese to my shopping list. I've put cheese on your shopping list. And then, you, then it comes to your phone, so you can actually go to the supermarket and know what you're meant to be buying. Um, but as a media device, um, it really is quite interesting. I've had to persuade it that it's in London, England, in my son's flat, because it's not launched here yet, and I do the same for Switzerland. So I tend to concentrate on the BBC. So, Alexa, play me BBC Radio 4. being disobedient. Alexa, play BBC Radio 4. BBC Radio 4 from TuneIn. Uh, she, she. 
Alexa Stop. And of course, you can do podcasts as well. So there's a very famous podcast, which is a sort of science and philosophy one. Um, Alexa Stop. So Alexa Stop. Very too excited in front of too many people, I think. Um, so um, Alexa. Play me the In Our Time podcast. Getting the latest episode of In Our Time. Here it is from TuneIn. This is the BBC. Thanks for downloading this episode of In Our Time. There's a reading list to go with it on our website, and you can get. Alexa, stop. Alexa, stop. Alexa, stop. Um, the other things um, quite interesting. Are, I think as broadcasters in countries where this is launched, um, it's available in English and German so far, French version coming out soon, um, is also the news headlines. So, Alexa, give me my flash briefing. Here's your flash briefing. In headlines from BBC News. President Trump has used a speech in Poland to warn that the survival of Western civilization is at risk because of threats posed by Islamist so, terrorism... Alexa, stop. Alexa, stop. Um, in a way, this is, I mean, really interesting as a media device, because I always laugh with my colleague, the head of television, and say, finally, we've got something that doesn't need a screen. Um, and, of course, it doesn't need a screen. And at the same time... Um, it opens up an enormous world. I mean, it reminds you to buy the cheese and the milk, but it also can play you radio stations. It can also give you podcasts. And we are really thinking a lot about our visibility in this um, whole area. I'll say one thing about the risks when we get there. And if I can find the clicker, which I must have left somewhere. Um, where did I put the... I don't know. Probably I'll put it here. Oh, here it is. So, adaptable. And, of course, you can get it through um, the Amazon Echo. What I think is really interesting, we won't read all of this, this is the first ever engineer of the BBC who said he's imagining the future. And he says, um, flush against the wall, there is a translucent screen with numbered strips of lettering rushing across it running across it. The lettering spells out titles which need read like newspaper headlines, and these are the titles of many different broadcasting programs which can be heard just by pressing the corresponding button. And I mean, that does feel a bit like accessing on demand on an iPad, and he was already writing that in 1940. The it's a pity he can't actually come back and see what's happened in the world, although he was a very, very unpleasant person, so it's very, I'm very happy he's not with us today. Um, time, he disgraced himself by becoming attached to the British Fascist Party at the time of the Second World War, so he's gone down in disgrace, I'm afraid, but um, his vision of how media could develop is nonetheless interesting. Um, that, I mean, we're beginning to see, and I'm sure you are here as well, the sense that actually different devices are being used um, as audio um, as audio sources. Again, the radio set is still there, but we can see um, that the competition there from um, Spotify, from um, 
well, from Deezer, from CDs, are all actually there. Um, as far as live radio is concerned, this is the situation in the UK, which is 44% of ours, um, this was 2016, 44% of ours on FM, 39% um, on digital radio, progressing very fast, we're hoping to hit 50% quite soon, um, and then tablets and computers and, and, and phones. So, I asked everyone in the EBU, um, from our members, what their main focus would be about um, developing radio in the coming years, and frankly, what things we ought to be covering at forthcoming conferences. And this was their list, which is quite interesting. Personalization, that's about giving a personal mix, finding a way in which you can put together a channel which actually matches people's interests. Social media, a lot of people still questioning what they do with social media. Big data, again, getting increasingly important. Hybrid radio is the idea of using digital radio, totally robust as the... Because I'm not certain you talk about hybrid radio here. No, it's a very it's a sort of European concept, which is that you use the digital radio stream for your audio, but you build onto that um, internet... Um, internet supplementary information on a screen so that you've always got the robustness of broadcast but alongside that you can have supplementary information commercial radio could use it for click through to buy it's it's the, just the direction in which we're going and we're really put trying to push that because it keeps robustness but makes radio um, a richer experience. Third-party platforms, that's just what I've been playing with, with the Amazon Echo. I'll come back to that in a second. Podcast, people looking at the success um, in the States of podcasts, wondering what they can do with that. People also asking, how much video should I be doing? Am I wasting my time? How much do I need to do? Are there some really smart apps that we can be um, emulating? DAB, digital radio, well, well advanced across Europe. Um, now, I attended the first ever, in the, right at the other end of the world, I attended the first switch-off ceremony for FM in Norway on the 11th of January, and the weather was definite. The Nor I'll tell you, the Norwegian winter is quite different from the South African winter. Um, and we switched off FM for the first time, and people were able to have... Um, they had 30 channels as opposed to the five that they'd previously had on FM in that remote part of northern Norway in the Arctic Circle. Connected car, everyone listens to radio in the car, but we need to make sure that's still the case in 10 years' time. How are people working with car manufacturers in the Europe now at the very high end, the sort of car that I would never think of buying, um, or I'd love to buy, but just wouldn't be that crazy. Um, you know, internet connectivity in cars, delivering on demand, delivering other services, delivering Spotify. Am I going to wake up in five years' time, switch on my car, and find an Apple logo on a screen and radio hidden somewhere? And that's where we need to make sure that our services are still available. And, of course, online players. Those are, you know, the players that many stations have. So those are the sort of areas. Just want to mention um, um, two, really, and then a quick footnote. One, I think, 
if I was focusing on anything in the next two years, I think it's going to be about the third party, um, like the Amazon Echo, and what we actually do with that, working with Amazon, working with Google to make sure we're present there. Also, um, un trying to work against some of the risks that could happen that radio becomes completely invisible in such a wealth of, uh, of the offer. There was also one um, cautionary story, which is that that uses TuneIn. Do you know the TuneIn app? You must use that. Well, Amazon Echo uses TuneIn to provide radio. And um, a few months ago, there was an argument between the people who run TuneIn and the public service radio in Belgium. And one morning, we presume that a guy in the United States was not in a very good mood. A lot of people, 20% of online listening is via TuneIn in Belgium. And this guy who probably woke up in a bad mood in America said, you know, I don't really like these discussions we're having with Belgium. Let's just switch them off. So they switched off Belgium. Belgium, who cares? Where is it on the map? Let's switch them off. So I think we've got to be really careful going forwards that we own and really, um, really actually are close to the means of distribution because the thought of just being switched off because you're Belgium and we don't actually like you today is actually quite worrying because there's no obligation to carry. I've talked a bit about the car, really important there to make sure what's happening in the car is exciting and that radio is very visible. I just put a little footnote in for you there, which is the backpack of Swedish radio, which has changed everything, which basically is a studio you can operate from the middle of a field um, using 3G, 4G. And I think they've been doing some fantastically smart work, which they're going to be sharing, um, I know, internationally, in terms of just making the whole world of broadcasting cheap and portable, in their case, as your motivation is to get close to your audience and to be able to report from where they are. Some really shareable stuff there. DAB I mentioned. Um, at the moment, there's 1,217 digital stations um, across Europe. Those are the ones currently broadcasting. Um, that's a lot of radio, I guess. And we are seeing that as the stable platform for radio going forward. What's exciting for audiences is that we've been able, because of extra spectrum, to launch across Europe 379 digital stations, thus overcoming the very overcrowded FM spectrum problem. And that is from, um, you know, cool music for young people to actually special programs in Norway, Bavaria, um, uh, dedicated to um, older people and their musical tastes. It's 24-hour news. It's dedicated stations for children, which are just being launched in Italy. It's something that's moving um, across the whole of Europe. Um, really exciting. In fact, so exciting. Austria has been very slow with DAB, and there's now a phenomenon of El old, older Austrian people going to Germany, which is just there, buying DAB radios in Germany and taking them back to listen to the programs for older people from the German broadcast on the other side of the border because they share a language. So I think there's a lot of excitement around that and it's moving forward. Um, it's now standard 
in many cars across Europe, moving towards standard in Germany, big car manufacturers. So I think we're on a sort of roll with that. We at the EBU, um, EBU, European Broadcasting Union, we also really want to encourage radio um, innovation. And we have an innovation fund whereby we invest um, in ideas from our members. Um, we're really looking, and I just quickly share with you a few of the things that we've been investing in. One is, um, there's some, this is from the Czech Republic, there's some amazing um, footage um, and also um, audio material around the, um, the events of 1968 when, the when Russia moved into the Czech Republic, um, that very troubled year. And actually, we are looking at ways of enhanced storytelling, immersive storytelling, helping them explore um, virtual reality, um, surround sound, and just seeing as a, as a sort of pilot what might actually be possible in that area to enhance the sense of immersion in the storytelling. Doing quite a bit with um, youth audiences, there's a fantastic project which you might even like to copy, which um, was done by our colleagues in Slovenia, where they realized that younger people were very interested in being on the radio, but actually not quite so interested in listening to it. So they created a nationwide competition um, with our um, support in order to um, get young people who fancied themselves as being a DJ to actually apply. The successful ones actually got some training and coaching, and then they did their own half-hour radio show, and actually that really created such a buzz about radio being a medium that was accessible. It was much talked about um, in Slovenia. We're looking at radio drama quite a lot. It's an old-fashioned medium in a way. It's been there since the beginning of radio, but trying to see if there are new ways of storytelling, and here by the use of the... Um, supplementary use of the internet, this is a story about um, an earthquake which is actually told from various people's point of view and you can actually move between the different characters and actually hear um, their opinions and their take on it. I'm not certain that's going to become mainstream but it's quite interesting to see what radio can actually do in terms of creating an art form, a bit like an art installation. And then smart social audio, we love this one. Um, we've, we've got this app which we are shortly going to release, um, which has been used on me once, which is you take a photo, you can clip the audio, and within a few seconds you're, you get the clip and the picture on Facebook and it's incredibly smart, it's very easy to use and for radio broadcasting if something incredibly smart is just said and you want just to grab it and get it onto Facebook um, we're just in the final touches of actually doing that and that of course was an athletics victory for Belgium and the Belgian guys had a prototype of it able to take the photo, take the audio and within a few seconds um, it, 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 um, it's there on Facebook or on other social media. Someone used that on me as a conference, so that um, rather served me right for funding the thing, um, because I said something, they grabbed the sentence, they took a picture of me looking particularly ridiculous, and there I was on um, Facebook. Social capital, I don't need to tell you about that. That's what you can tell me about, and that's what I've been learning whilst here. Networks, 
shared values, shared norms, building communities, all the things that you do. And actually, I just put in a final slide of the EBU values. Um, I grabbed that quickly, but actually, those are all the things that I really feel, you know, EBU members or not, that actually in this community um, of Radio Days Africa, I really feel that we've been working with these values, we've been sharing in this type of space, which I completely recognize. And uh, it's a space around universality, providing a service for everyone, independence, making sure you've got your own voice and an own voice that you're, is well-researched and you're proud and bold to, um, to, to, to express. Excellence, really seeking to be as good as possible diversity, reflecting um, the widest possible range of people um, in the community, accountability, um, accountability your, to your audience. Someone said to me um, a couple of days ago, really, our, we really feel a strong sense of responsibility because this is often our audience's only source of information. And also innovation. Radio started as something with technology. If people hadn't had early experience in radio waves, none of us would be here today, and therefore really pushing that innovation and making sure our services are relevant and actually where people want them to be and actually on the devices people want, um, that's really um, where we see the future to lie. I should just say this has been a most fantastic pleasure, a unique life experience sharing with so many of you. And... Um, well, I, very, very memorable, and I hope we find ways of keeping in touch um, with Radio Days Africa and with many of you as well. So, thank you. I don't know how to, to feel about it, whether to be happy <laughs> that it will be introduced to South Africa in a short mm. while. Uh, because I remember four or five years ago, my friend introducing me to Windows uh, voice detector. So mm. you tell your computer what to do and it does that. And it works absolutely fine when it gets someone like you from the Western countries. And when I was introduced, I thought I would tell my laptop <laughs> the same thing. And, and it, it doesn't work. Um, and, and one reason when we discussed it was that the accent is different and this affects yeah. the whole Africa. So right now the Amazon will be introduced, but then it's a minority language, the English in, in yeah, South Africa is yeah. a minority language. Mm. Most people are speaking the African language, the lingua franca in South Africa. So they will, the, the few that has uh, the accent, the Western accent, mm. will use it perfect, but those who don't have will struggle but again, it's not only mm. a matter of a voice in the Amazon. We are only we're also concerned about Facebook, in which lately introduced our African mm. language, mm. trying to accommodate us because we all know that uh, English is not that dominant. Only yeah. you speak it. But also the that uh, African languages that were incorporated to, mm. to Facebook as a Nguni language. I'm offended by how uh, they've translated it. Yeah. So I don't see it. Uh, quite fine. I don't, I don't know how this can be solved, but yeah. it's very problematic. Look, I, I think, I, I should say I really feel your pain on this one um, in terms of um, just in terms of not recognizing different versions of language and actually 
Um, one of the strange things it's doing, because we've got a few of these in Geneva to play with, is that it's actually meaning I've got a French-speaking colleague. It's not out in French yet. He's got it at home, but he's forced to speak English to it. Um, which, you know, is the same sort of situation that there's this sort of dominance of the English language and it's really being um, fo foisted on people. So I, f I feel the problem, actually, we're in a, in a European way, we are trying to deal with this because one of the things that we're doing is getting in touch with Amazon, getting in touch with Google, which we can as the European Broadcasting Union, and really encouraging people not to forget smaller language groups because otherwise and really trying because Amazon Google would normally they'll only speak to you know English French German Italian Spanish the big language groups that so we're saying that um, they need to engage with and respect the 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 smaller language groups but of course the financial investment is such that to translate the whole thing let's say into Icelandic which is 300,000 people, is just an enormous financial investment. And, you know, where this all takes us, I don't know. I think it's important that we know about these things, um, but I do think that it actually has really difficult implications in terms of, as I say, smaller groups, smaller communities. Um, I'm very friendly with the person who runs the um, Scottish language, the Gaelic broadcasting for Scotland, um, and that's a community of 60,000 people. So they're never going to get there. So what does that mean? Are they forced to use English if they want? No, I take the cultural implication. I'm, I'm completely with you on this. Yeah. Sorry, just a quick one to that. I also have an Alexa at home. Oh, yeah. I speak with a German accent, English, and uh, my wife speaks with a Persian English uh, um, accent. And um, also we've got friends that are coming, they are African people, they also speak with a, sometimes with a strong accent. Alexa understands us all. Yeah, she, so she is not so, so, so um, yeah, critical about mm, accents, I have yeah. to say. So whatever sounds a little bit like English, she's really taking uh, it into consideration. Yeah. My, actually, it's funny you should say that because my wife comes from, I mean, I don't know how, how wide she goes, but I was interested in this question myself. And my wife comes from um, a small village right in the north of England. And she, as a child, sounded nothing like me coming from London. And um, we, I was saying, come on, darling, speak to Alexa as you would have done when you were an eight-year-old with a very strong regional accent. And actually, she can speak. So maybe it's wider than we think it is. You, it's there. You must chat with it. <laughs> just go and see <laughs> and, and don't adapt at all just go for it <laughs> okay. that's all the time we have uh, for now thank you Gary no my pleasure thank you all